Well, welcome everyone to another installment of the Analytics That Matter Working Groups podcast. This is number five. Um, as has been the case, uh, this is done during one of our working group sessions. Uh, so you'll hear from myself, Chris Monchinski, who is the working group chair. Um, and I will uh, kick off the question that we'll discuss during this podcast. Um, John Jackie, who is with us as well, uh, as well as uh, Jean-Paul. Uh, from our working group. Both have been uh, longtime contributors to our working group. Uh, and we have a, um, a guest with us today. Uh, Cheryl is with us. Cheryl comes with uh, uh, to us from uh, a company called Visionize uh, and is, has been a, a longtime consultant, uh, well over 20 years in the manufacturing uh, industry, helping customers to understand how to get more telemetry and value out of the data they have on the plant floor. That's a uh, personal passion of hers. Um, what I want to do is go around and let everyone introduce themselves individually, and then we will get to the topic of the podcast. So, John, uh, John can you start uh, first? Sure. My name is John Jackie. I'm with uh, Dassault Systems, and I am a, I'm the North American Executive Business Consultant, and um, I've been working with manufacturing my entire career and uh, analytics and uh, getting information out into the out out of the systems into digitalization into modeling is uh, something that I've been working with for a long time. Uh, and with that, I think we can uh, go on to uh, let's let's have uh, John Paul introduce himself. Hello, my name is uh, Jean Paul Menez. I've been working in industrial automation for about over twenty years now, um, mainly focusing on operational technology and integration into IT systems, um, taking our operational technology data and being able to use it and leverage it to find efficiencies um, after, you know, the whole industry 3.0 movement. Um, and yeah, Cheryl. Cheryl. And this is Cheryl Weeb. Um, thanks for your introduction already, Chris, and uh, lovely to be here this morning with you all. Uh, as Chris said, I've been working with data and analytics for over 20 years. Uh, before that, had a start in uh, management consulting, you know, IT strategy, uh, data warehousing, always uh, in multiple industries, but I've settled in into the industrial and cross industry, many, many segments within in industrial over the last 15 years, quite a bit, have uh, run data products and solutions uh, practices in consulting and uh, started a data science team in that area. And have more recently, you know, my I found my way into this topic because overall, when you work in data and analytics, your passion is to, to get the data and the insights into the hands of people. And I see in the topic we're about to, to talk about this morning is the ability to contextualize data and insights for operational um, parties, operational users, people who are engineers, people who work with the equipment and the processes. Um, it's not good enough always to just have charts and graphs that are disconnected from the real world. And so um, I'm really interested in how we take these metaverse concepts that have been brewing for 10, 15 years already ever since the concept of Web 3.0 came out and how we can make them useful today for the industrial settings. Uh, so I think that jumps us right into that first yeah. topic. 
Yeah, so so this is a um, a topic that uh, we've been talking about a little bit within Analytics That Matter, our working group. Uh, and as is the case with these podcasts, we, we typically, this is your opportunity listening in on the podcast to sit inside the working group and uh, and be part of that conversation, hear what we talk about, or as John likes to say, our banter, uh, which is terrific because it's, it's really good and interesting uh, uh, set of topics for um, industry and the application of analytics in particular. The, um, the term metaverse, uh, I guess, is attributed to an author, Neil Stevenson, who wrote a book called Snow Crash. Um, and the idea was combining the word meta and universe together. Uh, Neil Stevenson had thought about it at the time, this is going back to 1992, believe it or not, um, as, as being kind of the next generation of the web where, where you would converge virtual reality. And, and this is, of course, again, in 92. So those concepts were really new. We've seen a lot of iterations since then, that could be termed metaverse, of course, Second Life, for example, things of that nature. And of course, most recently, Mark Zuckerberg went as far as to say uh, that Facebook will have a parent company called Meta and that they will pursue metaverse uh, type concepts and technologies. And, um, and that's where they see the web going. And of course, they made a big splash several years before by investing and purchasing Oculus, which is one of the, I guess, the foundation technologies, perhaps for, for something like a metaverse. So that said, all this buzz about metaverse, um, how does it relate, can it relate to an industrial setting, to a manufacturing setting? Um, you know, is there such a thing? Can we coin a term industrial metaverse? And if we say something like that, what does it mean? And, and how is it then relevant to digital transformation and to Mesa in particular? Uh, so with that, Cheryl, I mean, you've already started to talk a little bit about this. Do you want to expand on that topic a little bit and then start us off? Yeah, I, I think so. First, um, to clarify some some of the broader foundational things, you know, like I, I think another working group that did some really good foundational work was the Blockchain Council recently. So they're they're really drilling down on the Web three version of the internet consumer e-commerce you know world um, and what it becomes, which is bringing more immersiveness in, and um, and I think you know, the, the applications there are all the digital currency and marketplace and making digital commerce more rich and online shoppers. So that's always been a world that's um, got different constraints and, and requirements than the industrial world where we've got, you know, big capital investments, big heavy equipment, a lot of safety issues and so on. Um, so the, the wider metaverse, I think, you know, there's lots of definitions out there. The Gartner definition, you know, uh, if you follow Gartner, and, and I, I certainly do, is that the metaverse is a persistent and immersive digital environment of the independent yet interconnected networks that will use yet to be determined protocols for communications. And it enables persistent, decentralized, collaborative, interoperable digital content that intersects with the physical world's re real-time spatially oriented index content. That's a lot of words. <laughs> I was going to say. I yeah, think that, that's that, a mouthful, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's a bit too much heavy lifting for what we want to talk about because they're saying their, their, their projection is, well, be aware of it, but it's not really going to be a thing within their time frame of interest, with, which is about eight years. So if you look at their hype cycle, it doesn't really, it's not focal point yet. But I mm -hmm. think, I think that, you know, there's, there are things to watch out for in super important real world today uh, applications. And um, there's another um, digital twin company that I've uh, worked with a little bit. And John Burton, who's the CEO of 
uh, Ursula Leo, they, they specialize in facility management. So they build immersive digital twins for facilities. And I think we're, I, I think John, you probably know that, you know, the, the, the constraints and requirements of digital twins and, and immersive um, worlds for uh, industrial have very different and unique um, data and, you know, other requirements based on segment and facilities is, is one particular uh, segment that's starting to do a lot of that. So their company is, is really double down on um, building and facility management, building information management systems and visualizing those. And I think I like what he said, it's that the industrial metaverse is just a very useful shorthand for a basket of technologies. So interactivity, visualization, uh, augmented reality casting, a little bit of consumer computer gaming tech techniques, because most of the digital twin and immersive technologies based on some gaming or physics engine like a Unity or a Babylon. And, uh, and it's sort of, it's 90% of what people mean, but and it's just an intersection of all these techniques. And But he said something that I thought was interesting is that people in Silicon Valley are generally starting to get a little sick of this terminology. But I think, you know, for Mesa and for our manufacturing community, the, the key aspects is it's the metaverse is not necessarily tied to this world, but for our applications, it should be. It should be something that makes it easier, safer, faster, and more effective to interact with the physical world out there without being in the physical world so that you can, you know, predict and learn and train and monitor more easily. Um, what do you think of that kind of as a starting point? Well, as, is it okay if I take the next- uh, 100% John, please. Um, well, one of the things that I keep coming up with is we have been, we at Mesa, ISA, uh, IEEE, uh, you name the organization within manufacturing, within electronics, within software. We have been trying to name, rename our spaces for a long time. We've had Industry 4.0. Uh, on one of the previous podcasts, we've even discussed the fact that Industry 4.0 is now you know, past tense, and we're already entering the realm of Industry 5.0. There's also Smart Factory and a, a whole myriad of different other ways that we can look at it. The bottom line is, is we're creating and we have new technologies. Uh, Moore's Law is not dead. Uh, it continues to grow and expand. We're using things like the, uh, the point cloud solutions from companies like Navis that are allowing us to do a walkthrough, which creates an indoor version of what you would look at when you look at the, the Google um, Maps functionality, yeah. where you can zero in on something, and then merging that with your uh, drawings, your plant diagrams, your functionality, and other models. And it's the integration of that. You're creating an avatar, for lack of a better term, not only of yourself within the model so that you can then walk through it, but the, the integration of all of that and each of the individual models that then overlay into a unified structure are what's really creating that, that what we would call a metaverse. And I think it's uh, interesting that we're having this podcast shortly after the, uh, the multiverse from uh, 
uh, Stephen Strange uh, just was released to the to the, to the public. Yeah. So I think it's an interesting uh, merging of technologies. And you had mentioned that gaming technologies drove or, or is, is a part of all of this. I think gaming technologies is driving a lot of this. How are, yeah. you know, not, not only that, but it gives you a almost a cleaner purview of of where you want the plant to go without having to build it in the first place. It can save a lot of money. Just imagine if you have three different failures of a metaverse solution, build the solution on the third try when you know that you're a whole lot closer by being able to trial it, by being able to look at where failure points are, how those failure points interact with an individual, how do you make it a safer, better place? Lower the carbon footprint of not only what you're doing and creating in the factory, but you're also lowering the carbon footprint of the initial build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, JP, do you have anything to build on that? Yeah, John Fullock, I guess I can I characterize you maybe as an end user or a consumer. So you're looking yeah, yeah. at this from the perspective of what technologies do I adopt? What technologies do I recommend? And then as John pointed out and Cheryl did as well, you know, our industry is really criminal sometimes as, as many industries are with remarketing and rebranding and, and putting together lots of different names for things. So how do you, what's your perception of industrial metaverse and how would you then explain this to the C-suite if you're trying to implement the technology? <laughs> To me, I, th I think the, the end idea, I mean, it, it's something to strive for, but is way out in the distance, I think, like, like Cheryl sort of indicated at, at, at the start. But um, to me, from an end user, I look at it from an end user standpoint, but also from a system integrator standpoint, and, you know, being able to provide value to people, you know, um, that whole effort of you know, one single pane of glass to sit there and look at and solve my problems. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're heading to, right? And so when you look at technologies like XR, MR, AR, and, 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 and look at the life cycles on how we actually, you know, um, produce, produce, you know, facilities, produce equipment, produce end products in, in manufacturing, right? That whole life cycle of you know, engineering, design, build, operate, and, and whatnot. I think, I think short term, short term, it's uh, it's it's still going to be what it is. But I think longer term, you know, there's a lot of good action on trying to get all these systems to interoperate at some level. But the 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 required level of interoperability to sit there and really truly build, you know, what the complete idea of a metaverse is. It's probably a long way off, but there's lots of good stuff going on right now that where you can sit there and, and merge some of these technologies to provide value for end users. Let, let me ask a question to you, JP. Why is it so, why is the, do you think it's going to take so long for manufacturing to adopt this when other industries like uh, life sciences and the a uh, virtual twin of the human heart and being able to do virtual surgeries um, is way ahead of where manufacturing is. I mean, we're the ones that are manufacturing the, the, the robotic devices that are going into the surgery, uh, in, into, in, into surgical, into cardiac surgery for doctors to use. 
and yet we're way behind the curve when it comes to adoption. I, I think mainly because of just the the how much I'm trying to find the best word for this. There's mm -hmm. so much, uh, so many different options out there. There's so many different solution vendors out there and whatnot. And I think I think the biggest thing that needs to happen is um focus on on open standards and, and interoperability between all of these solution-based vendors I, I think that's the biggest issue i think manufacturers can sit there and and understand what value um this type of technology can bring but the problem is is from a from an actual practicality standpoint it's just not there yet well when you said, you know, we have to focus on open standards. However, if I look at it, the gaming industry, the medical industry basically goes and creates and designs based on what's available. And they don't really think about the, the, the standards per se. And I mean, like one of the things that I see is the, the, the living heart, uh, the, the living heart or the virtual twin of the, of, of the human heart and how that's kind of driving to new uh, ways to think about a lot of things, including the point cloud solutions for manufacturing, uh, planning, and everything else. Oh, I, f I fully agree, right? But the, the problem is, is when you look at it full stack and when you look at it from, you know, design all the way to operation and whatnot, right? And so, you know, the design process probably is pretty tightly knit right now, right? But once you transfer into... Yeah into the other processes and, and, and get down into operations, that's not tightly knit full stack right now, right? And so and that's where the complications mm -hmm. become, right? And so there's there's a lot of evolution there to be done. I know, um, I know there's lots of work going on in different initiatives that try and sit there and commonize around data models supporting digital twin initiatives and, and, and all that kind of good stuff. But, you know, Mesa being one of those, one of those groups, um, but I think it's going to be a long road ahead to sit there and get to that sort of fundamental and metaverse, right? Even when you think about it in your own business, you know, really you're, you're going to be sitting there developing your own metaverse that integrates into other metaverses. Yeah, and that's, that's always, uh, that's going to be the case. It's going to be a systems of systems approach. And, and even just if you constrain your thinking to digital twins, um, where there's been the most success in digital twins, uh, going back to the life cycle comment, has been in the design build phase of, of the life, which is where you have fewer degrees of freedom. You're, you're an OEM, you're living in your own design, you're living in your own, you control all the factors. Once you build something and turn it loose in, or turn over the keys to the operator, now you're faced with 30 to 40 years of life. And as we approach like existing factories and locations that have 20, 30 year old equipment sometimes, Brownfield legacy adoption of this kind of thing is very, very challenging. So I, I think that's one of the, that and the fact that we have to operate under OSHA standards, we have to operate under safety and hazardous conditions and, and, and then just this multi-legacy hybrid of so many different OEM equipment coming it together into a, an operation, a plant. And so I think, you know, the industries that are 
at least at Visionize, the company that I'm advising here is, you know, they've started to work in uh, oil and gas and energy, power and electric and, and manufacturing being like the emergent one. Um, and, and even within manufacturing, it's much more in the, uh, you know, what we look at is where do you have um, very heavy capital equipment, a lot of regulation that requires the maintenance of PNID diagrams. The CAD CAM is too complex when it was built, but once it's in, it, to, to maintain in that same way that you would do it in the in the early life cycle. So we've put a lot of F emphasis on the management of change, and the, that's a big part of the the definition, right? Is how do you maintain the fidelity to the real real life um, operation and in manufacturing, as you know, there's so, so many turnarounds and setups and reconfigurations of the line. You've got to have a structured process that's not heavily, you know, human or manual to re, re up and refresh your definition of the digital twin. And so then when you broaden it to metaverse, it's like, okay, so how do I live in that digital twin, how, to, how does the avatar come and interact with the digital twin and the environment around it? So that, that's kind of how I, I'm thinking about it. And I, I think that digital twin is the core value generator of the industrial metaverse. And so it's about taking the digital twin and adding the environmental surroundings, adding process digital twin to it. And, and really critical is how do you live in that 30 or 40 years of operational life? Absolutely. One of the interesting things, you've covered a lot of ground here. And one of the interesting things you pointed out, uh, Cheryl, just now is that I guess in the, going back to the question of what is industrial metaverse and what is it, how is it relevant to digital transformation? The relevance piece of this is of course, what's, JP, you pointed this out as well. What, what's the near-term and long-term um, situation here for something like an industrial metaverse because when I think of an, a metaverse I think of something that is more akin to Gartner's uh, description it is more all-encompassing um, and and digital twins uh, might be the most near-term manifestation of that uh, they have been the most successfully applied they're the most mature uh, we have some some really good use cases and business cases for for using them and the success stories of, around using digital twins and one of the complexities, I guess, I, I look at manufacturing as a great example in, in industrial spaces. If you were to, to, to do a build a digital twin of even a complex manufacturing process, multiple pieces of equipment potentially, you then come into a, a topic that's near and dear everyone's heart right now, supply chain, right? And, and you are not a manufacturing organization in, uh, in and of itself, but you are part of an overall supply chain with suppliers and distributors, et cetera. So does, the met, does an industrial metaverse does it then, is the real goal ultimately with an industrial metaverse, and this is why it's long-term maybe, is to model something far more complex than, you know, so you have all sorts of constraints within your plant and you can go down to um, the metallurgy and the and the reliability of a piece of equipment, but then it affects the whole supply chain potentially. And uh, is that ultimately the promise of something as, as grand as an industrial metaverse and, um, and, and how far out is that? Is that eight years or is that even 16 years out potentially? Well, let me comment on that. Um, I think you've got an interesting long viewpoint, but I think we have a couple of shorter viewpoints mm -hmm. that we're actually trying to use the digital twins, um, the virtual twins, 
and the interfacing with is um, one of the biggest problems is, is finding uh, the right employees, finding that we, we have a whole bunch of uh, uh, boomers that are that are retiring. How do we how do we take a snapshot of their point of view and create electronic work instructions? How do we train the next generation? Um, these are all tools that I think we're, you know, we're, we as engineers, designers, implementers, I think we're at, at a short term, we have immediate problems that we're trying to solve. And we're using this technology and these technologies to model and create that. I mean, am I am I stepping off the wrong play? Are you looking for the longer term view of this? Well, I, mean, I guess I guess to some extent, maybe I'm caught up like a lot of people would be with the verbiage and the marketing around using words like industrial metaverse versus, um, you know, is is it is it what we're already doing in the grab bag of things that we're already working on, or is it something that's newer and and different in some way? Uh, does it provide some new capabilities that we we aren't currently considering, um, or 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 are, have a longer uh, lead time to be developed because of the maturity of the technology, the adoption of the technology? But I don't disagree with you, John. That you know when we talk about cyber physical, there's another term that's that's been out yeah. there in in this in that's in our and our our ether for a long time. Um, you know when we talk about that, the, the idea of immersing. Uh, you know, work people with work instructions and having uh, smart, you know, uh, knowledge-based systems and capturing that knowledge, um, whether it's interactive in the actual process or if it's something that's more. And I think you mentioned it in the beginning as part of the, one of the use cases. Cheryl was, you know, as a training system, right? You know, so it's another a very very common example of the digital twin application in the real world today, which is that I have a simulation system or a training system which can create real real, real world scenarios and then put operators through those scenarios, be they safety scenarios or performance scenarios, et cetera, and, and help to augment that training and reinforce that training over the life cycle of the, of the system's uh, operation. So uh, I, don't, I don't disagree with you, John. I just, I wonder sometimes if, um, if maybe this term, we this one particular metaverse, because of the, the the confluence of all these different technologies that can be that system of systems and different different technology stacks that could make up the metaverse, that we this might be a term that's around for a long time, because we may be revisiting this over and over for several years, as JP pointed out, uh, as this continues to evolve and technologies continue to mature and new uh, adoption strategies continue to make their way into the industrial space. What I what I use to, to ground my head in this is is if you sit there and you take a look at and you say, really the, the the whole metaverse idea is the convergence of all these technologies into one, right? And and why I sit there and say it's going to be a long time because once you start talking about the convergence into one, then you're talking about businesses competing against businesses for that to happen. Right. And so that, that's why I sit there and say it'll, it'll end up being a long time short on the on the short term view, like John pointed out, there's lots of use cases to sit there and say, you know, how can I get all this information sort of wrapped into a nice, neat package and be able to be able to allow the next generation to sit there and move forward and find efficiencies and, and understand, you know, how, how to solve the their next future problems. Yeah, I think I think that you know for the listeners, it's I, that one takeaway needs to be 
you know, that the metaverse is a bit of a vision statement. It's a, it's a sort of a thing to strive for. And, you know, it's characteristics of interactivity, characteristics of every piece of data and every is able to be visualized over top of or within that immersive um, environment, but not to drop like incremental um, use case value-driven projects um, in the in the shorter term, and then there's going to be some step changes because like the the industry players who are providing or the open source community who are working on you know this and standards and and other sort of technologies are going to enable a step change. So I I very much agree with John John Paul that there that there's going to be needing the interoperability, but as we work in sort of small constrained islands, like for example, we're working a project with a nuclear power generator uh, company up in Canada. And we're really just building an immersive, immersive model of their nuclear halls, like so that they can operate within that difficult and hazardous environment and minimize the, the amount of time that they physically have to operate in it. Later on, we might merge it with a bigger, you know, entire facility version of it. And maybe later on we we merge it with some of the enterprise data systems. But for now, it's like let's take the engineering and specification and exact um, uh, drawings that were two D, make them three D, put an avatar in there, allow some training, and then you know you can unite it with other efforts as these open standards uh, evolve over time. So I think there's a a vision that we sort of get our imagination and how we motivate ourselves to it, but you still have to do project, project, project incrementally, I, I think, and make them value driven. So, so what I'm hearing and between uh, the four of us here is I'm hearing, I'm, I'm going to bring it back to a, uh, may, may, maybe some people might think this is an ancient term now. It's really road mapping. It's totally. really about understanding, having a vision statement what can we do today? What can we do in six months? What can we do in two years? What do we want to do in five years? Having those vision statements. I mean, like I said, right now, we're already doing a uh, virtual reality of, you know, giving a, a surgeon the opportunity to practice in virtual space on someone's heart to that 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 will save a life because they might do it three different ways and then find the most efficient way to be able to save that work with that person's problem or do a repair and you know sometimes you don't you sometimes you don't have that kind of time but when you can't afford that it will save lives this is going to you know the virtual the metaverse of manufacturing will eventually save time save design cycles and integrate to create optimization to to chris's point earlier you create yeah. the digital transformation or the digital world you build it and then you leave it but if you can integrate the digital models that you've built with reality take that takes you to a whole new level yeah for sure and that's why and especially in the industrial context where we have these sort of again safety danger human issues it's so important to continue that management of change meaning ongoing checks of the fidelity of your 
you know, your virtual model with the physical reality out there. And, and that's where I, I'm very hopeful of, I can't remember who mentioned, but the, you know, the, the sort of Navis kind of capabilities that can generate a digital twin in kind of real time as it changes. Exactly. That's the, those are the sort of technologies that when we had a digital twin that was based on design build, some of those new technologies can help us with the management and integration of the changes that are happening because of physical things, environmental things, human things, and, you know, um, you know, demand uh, of customers requiring different, uh, different processes be uh, undertaken. So, yeah, I do think it's, it's about uniting vision um, incremental projects that go in the direction of that vision. And that's why it's so important to have that blueprint in the vision. And I think the industrial and just the metaverse at large provides a, a really good starting point for that vision. Well, this has been a terrific discussion. Um, one of the things that um, I, I wanted to touch on before we, we closed was uh, what, what is the, you know, the near term? What kind of value can be derived today? But I think we've covered some of that to understand that you know, John, you mentioned it's it's road mapping. Uh, it's it's a little bit of uh, forward thinking. Uh, I like to think it's grounded in you know what kind of problems do I need to solve today and what technologies can I apply. But um, always the risk with applying technologies is obsolescence. Is uh, it's 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 support and augmentation. So always having um, as as the planners, designers, and leaders of our organizations, always having in mind an understanding of where the technologies are going and where they're converging. Um, and, and looking three, five years ahead, uh, not being 100% accurate, but roadmapping to understand here are the problems I need to solve today. And here's how these problems that I solve today will lead to the problems of tomorrow. And I will solve those tomorrow, what technologies might be available. All of that is incredibly important. So while there is value to be derived today in implementing digital twin type technologies, for example, uh, there's, there's plenty, that is foundational and it doesn't necessarily go away. It becomes something that's larger, a system of systems. Um, and I think that's a, um, a great way to think about this topic. Uh, we are about at time. So I wanted to just wrap up and ask if uh, there was any final comments or thoughts on the topic, uh, Cheryl? Yeah, I do think that there is some immediate um, uh, interesting topics for Mesa and this working group to to tackle in terms of, you know, what, what kind of requirements and what kind of guidelines do we want to put on the builders of these environments um, so that so that they uh, are relevant to the, the likely users who are going to be the inspection team, the maintenance team, the process engineering team. And, and I think it's really uh, an important, um, another way of breaking down silos between IT and OT to have this kind of environment and uh, evolve over time. John? Let, let, yeah, I mean, one, one thing that comes to mind is I'm gonna do a shameless plug for Mesa here, um, is this all kinds of wraps into the change and an evolution of the Mesa model and there is a new Mesa model that's just recently been released that I think is very applicable into this space of digital transformation, of virtual reality, and of the man, uh, of the industrial metaverse. And, and I think um, you know if you haven't taken a look at it, take a look at that. And and uh, like I said, I think there's some definitely some applicable 
um, chunks uh, from the new model that'll actually help drive some new thought. And John, John Paul, any any thoughts? Um, no, I mean, to, to me, it's a, it's a pretty exciting time to to be involved with any of this stuff, right? And so, to me, I think you know, metaverse is the big thought. I think digital twin is the the the, the young child of the, of the metaverse, and I think there's lots of exciting stuff that can be done in the digital twin space. I mean, when you start talking about a fully integrated design process, that you can sit there and sort of transition into operations, and then you know, that design information isn't necessarily lost anymore in operations. It's fully transparent. It's there and, and you know, you can walk it backwards and forwards. It's, it's pretty interesting. So that's great. Work, lots of work to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. It's a very exciting time to be part of, of this industrial transformation, digital transformation, uh, and all these step changes that continue to, uh, to both challenge us, but provide us, uh, tremendous opportunity uh, in the space we work. Well, I want to wrap the podcast up. I want to thank Cheryl very much for her participation and her insights on the topic. Um, and, and I thank you for, for spending the time with us, Cheryl. And I know that you mentioned um, in earlier discussions uh, some other work going on in Mesa. So I'm looking forward to your continued contribution both to Mesa and to this working group, absolutely. <laughs> so that's, that's my shameless plug for Mesa. Um, and John and John Paul, thank you both for your continued contribution to the working group and to Mesa. Um, uh, Mesa, um, you can find these podcasts uh, up on the Mesa website. There's the URL, uh, and we'll post this one shortly for you. And uh, with that, I'd like to conclude. Thank you very much for everyone's time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. Thanks Lovely for to be here. Thanks, Chris.